Well, if you have your copy of God's Word and would like to open to Ephesians chapter 4, uh, we are going to be looking at that. And um, while you're turning there, I kind of have a question, and, and this may feel a little bit more appropriate for some of you guys with young kids um, because I, I don't know if you guys were ever like this. When, when our kids were growing up, we kept looking forward to that next stage. And when I was growing up, I was always looking forward to that next stage in my development and my growth. Um, my, my in-laws, my wife's parents have 10 grandchildren. And on one of the walls, on one of the doors in their kitchen, they've got the tape marks of where all the kids are. Because now the, the tallest grandsons have surpassed their parents. And grandparents, the patriarch, Fletcher, my father-in-law, was the tallest. He's not anymore. But sometimes it feels like as we get older that we're all grown up and we don't have anywhere to grow. We kind of get to this place. We, we've stopped looking at, you know, maybe you're looking forward to that next grade or maybe like me when you were in middle school, you were desperately looking forward to have a driver's license. And so you were looking forward to that. Or, or then as you went on through high school and looking forward to college, then you maybe step into a career and possibly you get married. And then you kind of get to the end and you think, I've arrived. And you're 20-something years old and you've arrived. Really, we have a lot to learn at that point. But there, the, the growth that came so naturally to us as children in so many ways stops getting measured when we reach adulthood. We grow in different ways. We grow in ways that we can't tangibly comprehend, can't tangibly measure. And now that we've got things like smartphones and other digital devices that have a way of distracting us, it could be very easy for us to lull ourselves or entertain ourselves to death or maybe entertain ourselves to ignorance. And I wonder if this is why some people get to, a, to midlife and feel like they need to have a crisis because they've looked back and realized, is this all there is? And the future doesn't look that much better. And when the career path of the upwardly mobile begins to flatten out and the metabolism of middle age causes you to forget the physique of youth, you sometimes lose the motivation. The motivation that you had for growth is just not there. And I don't want this to be a downer. We talked, we've mentioned earlier in the service that we we're talking about growth. And, and this is where I, I think it's important for us to understand that we are made to be lifelong learners. We are made to be people who continually grow until we graduate into eternity. We are made to do that. And I think God has given us exactly what we need in the church. You see, so often people think of the church as a building. When I came this morning, Tim met me outside and he, he said, this is our lovely building, right? And, and he said, there have been other churches here and we get to be here for now. But so often people think of the church as a building, forgetting to realize that really the church is the people. Lovettsville Baptist is meeting in a school right now, just like you guys did a few years ago. And yet they are still a church, though, without their own building. And so as the people of God, we gather regularly in big and small groups because it's important to God and it's important to one another. It's important to us. 
there's a vertical direction in our gathering as we worship, and then there's that horizontal direction as we do life together, as we pour into one another's lives, as we serve each other. But one element of our, of our life together is growth, and we could say that as a church, we gather and we grow. We are intended to do that. And on one hand, we could look at it numerically. We could count heads and think, hey, we're growing, and we could measure it that way. But that's not really what I think Scripture is getting at when it talks about growth. And I think the, the beautiful, one of the beautiful things is that God has given us so many things that enable us to grow. And so in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes uh, to that church in Ephesus about several things that Christ gave to the church, that the Holy Spirit gives to the church in order to allow them to grow. And really it allows us to, to, to grow and encourage one another. And so as we think about uh, about our the church and about our growth, I think it's important for us to recognize that God has provided four things. So if you want to take notes, here here are all the four things that you, that we can that that God has put in here. One is a foundation for growth. The second one is a framework for growth. The third is a focus for growth, and the fourth is a fashion for growth. I don't always alliterate, but I figure I it, this one seemed to work out that way. So first of all, let's think about this. God provided the foundation for growth. Just as if we, if we were to go build a building, we would have to lay a firm foundation, lay down something strong, and the foundation really helps us understand what the the how big that building is going to be or how big that home is going to be. And so in Ephesians 4:11, and we'll eventually get through this entire passage. We'll just read small portions at a time. But in Ephesians 4.11, the Apostle Paul writes, he says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. He gave all these things to the church. And it seems like based on things that Paul has written elsewhere, that those first two, the apostles and prophets, really become the foundation for the church. In fact, he said so a couple chapters earlier in, in uh in Ephesians 2.20, when he says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the, the cornerstone. The foundation of the church is the, the apostles and prophets. But I don't know if you're like me, I'm thinking, well, what does that mean? What does it mean for the foundation of the church to be there? So let's think briefly about the apostles. And, and really, there's a couple uses of that. But primarily, we're thinking about the 12 guys that followed Jesus for his three years or so of ministry. These are the guys that Jesus poured into. These are the guys that God used to really establish and start the church. They were eyewitnesses to all that Jesus did and essentially became commissioned to bear witness about him, about his life, his death, and his resurrection. And the witness of the, of the apostles became an important part of the initial foundation of the church. And as Ephesians says, they are a gift from Jesus to the church. And in addition to being founded on the testimony of the apostles, the foundation of the church is established on the proclamation of the prophets. The, the prophets were the instruments or were the people in the Old Testament that God called, that God used to call people to repentance and righteousness 
and to foretell, to let people know that there was a, the Messiah was going to be coming. And they, in many ways, said, hey, here's the timeline when, that you're to look forward to. And here's what he's going to act like. Here's how he's going to be. And so when the, when the prophets foretold that, now the apostles come along and say, yeah, remember what all those people said? This is the guy. Jesus Christ is that guy. So the testimony of the, of the apostles seemed to reveal the fulfillment of the message of the prophets, thereby laying the groundwork for the establishment of the church. And we see the testimony of the, of the apostles and the message of the prophets most clearly and completely in the word of God. What a gift this is that we have God's word as a means for us to, to study and read, to be able to look back and to confirm what the prophets said, the apostles affirmed, and now we get to live that out today. But with the foundation laid, we can see in this passage that God also provided a framework. Just as every building needs a foundation, it needs something to help it grow upwardly. And so we also see this, I think, in, in uh, Ephesians 4.11. Look at what the other things are that, that Jesus gave. It says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. And let's think about these other three groups, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. The evangelists seem like these are the people who would help the building grow vertically. These are the people who, who really have that compassion, have that really that passion, that gift to share the gospel and to reach out, to, to cause the church to grow. Not all, now, all of us are given the command to proclaim the gospel and to make disciples to some degree, and we are all part of that. Jesus said to go into all the world and make disciples. But there are some of us, there are some of you that have that gift, that evangelistic gift, that compulsion that says, I can't help myself but proclaim the gospel to you. I can't help but let you know about about the, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a lady in our church. Her name is Joyce. She drives for Metro Access. So she helps people get around who, who can't otherwise get around. And she has that gift of the evangelist. Whenever someone's in her, in her van, she's willingly praying for them. She's asking them, how can, I, how can I help you beyond just getting you from point A to point B? There's another lady, a, a mom. Her name is Joanna. And, it, and she would often drive carpool. And now, Poolsville being a small town, most people just walk to school, but there are those moms who really like to get their kids in their vans and get other kids in their vans. Well, Joanna is one of those moms, and she would, on the way, while they're waiting to drop everybody off, she's praying out loud for all the kids in her car. The kids walk out of their car knowing that Joanna, a servant of Jesus Christ, loves them and that God loves them as well. Now, again, if you, you may not have the evangelistic gift. I don't feel like I have the gift of the evangelist. But, and, but we all still have that responsibility to proclaim, but we are blessed by those people who do have that gift. Evangelists help us get the word out. They expand the reach of the church. And they are a gift to the church. And, but in addition to the evangelist, Paul tells us that Jesus gave shepherds to the church, thinking about the idea of a building, shepherds or pastors or, or elders, and when the New Testament uses all those very much interchangeably, but these guys really become sort of the roof, the, the shelter above the, above the building. It's not, not a shelter to keep us down, but a shelter to provide protection from, 
things that would, would come to undermine our lives. And part of shepherding is nourishing and caring. And as we do life together, we get to mutually care for one another. And it seems like the role of the shepherds in the church should lead us in that way. And I'm so grateful in, in God's wisdom for the, the multiple leaders that, that God has allowed us to have at PBC. When I came there, there were just two other elders. We brought on a third guy, and recently we, we added, about uh, a little over a year ago, we added another pastor. But these guys are all so different. One's a scientist. One's a retired engineer. The other one's a computer programmer. I mean, what kind of cool mix is that? And as a sister church with you guys here in the Pillar Network, we rejoiced a few weeks ago when, when Tim was looking forward to the day that you guys brought on. You guys affirmed a couple new elders here. What a joy that is. What a gift that is to have multiple men shepherding, protecting, guarding your church. But not only did Jesus give us evangelists to help the church grow bigger and, and, and shepherds to protect us, but he also provided, as we see in verse 11, their teachers. And I think as we think about the metaphor of a building, a teacher really becomes the person who would provide some content, provide some structure, help us understand how the interior walls are going to look and what the shape of the movement inside the building is going to be like. They provide the detail and insight into the truth of God's word. They seek to challenge us to think, and yet they also ground us confidently in truth. I think one quality of an elder is to be able to teach, but the teaching ministry of the church is not limited to elders. Some of you, some of us are given that gift to teach. and We get to teach one another about the word of God. We get to pour into one another. But there are so many other gifts, and, and next week, I think you guys are getting into that next part in 1 Corinthians where you're really getting into the other gifts that God has given to the church through the Spirit. And, and, and I, I know you're going to look at so many other ways. But God has given us, as we think about this this. That, that foundation in the apostles and prophets, the, the framework and the evangelists and the teachers and in the shepherds. But not only has God given us those things, thirdly, he's given us a found, uh, the, uh, he's given us a focus for growth. Look at what it says beginning in verse 12, going on to 16. It says, these things are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain uni attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which, is it, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see, these are not just given so that we can grow in head knowledge, I mean, think about this. What would happen if, if all you did was eat? If all you did was eat? 
about a year ago when I, uh, I, I weighed about 60 pounds more than I do now. I enjoy eating. I love mm-hmm. eating. And, and the challenge is we need food. We just need a certain amount, but we have to put that into practice. We have to exercise. We have to do something outwardly in order to use up all the calories we're taking in. And I think the same thing happens spiritually as we grow, as we are, as we learn from, from teachers, as we're guarded by, by shepherds, as we grow as the body of Christ, we have to put that into action. And I think Paul tells us about three things here, three ways that we can exercise this growth. And the first one is ministry. You see, we could we could look at all the ways that God has gifted us. Maybe he's given you the gift of helps where where you just have that eye that be, is able to look and say, there's a need right here and I'm going to go meet that. Maybe God has given you the gift of service. You don't need to be up front to do anything, but you just love hiding behind the scenes, making sure stuff happens. Maybe God has given you the gift of wisdom. Maybe God has given you that ability to discern this is true, this is right, this is not. Maybe he's given you that ability to be able to communicate that to other people so that you can help them navigate some really big challenges in their lives. But God has called us all to ministry. God has called us all to put that into practice, not just to come and grow and gain in our knowledge so that we can, we can answer all the, all the minutia of some Bible trivia thing but so that we can grow into maturity and put that into practice and show it by living it out with one another. But in addition to that, in addition to growing by putting it into practice in ministry, the Apostle Paul writes that we are to our growth is intended to bring unity. It's intended to bring us together. Look at what it says in verse 13. It says, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then jumping down to verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body is joined and held together with every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, we make the body grow so that it it builds itself up in love. Think about when we're all doing this together, when we are putting our gifts into practice, that's when unity begins to happen because we don't have to do it exactly the same way. And I'm so glad we don't. I'm so glad that God has gifted each individual believer with some ability to do something differently so that the entire church doesn't just look like me or just like you. We all get to put that into practice. And then as we as we serve one another, as we serve Christ together, that bond together is strengthened. We get to we get to grow speaking and he says here speaking the truth in love to one another, demonstrating love for each other. And there will be times when when we may see things differently. We may open the word of God together. We may disagree, but that doesn't mean that we have to part ways. We can encourage one another and speak truth and say, hey, I I see it like this, but I trust that I'm going to show you, let's show each other grace, but let's continue to walk together because the unity that we have together under Christ, it's not in my camp, it's not in your camp, it's under Christ. That's where our unity is is strengthened most. And so I, I do want to encourage you. 
if you feel like, if you don't feel like you've got a place to fit in, then I want to encourage you to have a conversation with Tim or with one of your other elders or with a brother and sister in Christ. Say, help me understand how I can fit into the ministry of this church. How has God gifted me? And I know over the next week or so, as you guys study the spiritual gifts, you're going to see that more. You're going to get to see how Paul talks about that in, in 1 Corinthians. But there's one more element to, our, uh, to the focus of our growth, and that is maturity. Again, back in Ephesians 4.13, until we all attain to the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You see, the word of God that we have because of the witness of the apostles and the message of the prophets that is explained to us by our teachers is something that should produce maturity in us. And I don't know about you guys, but there are times when I feel so much like the world around us is, is, is moving at such a fast pace. The moral decline in our society is moving so quickly that it's it, it just... I really have to take a step back and think, God, what are you doing? Or I'll hear different arguments, and one in this podcast, and one in that. But as we grow into maturity, as we're growing in unity, we get to, to, to understand that God is sovereign over all things. That nothing that is happening in our world is happening outside of God's knowledge. That we can trust that God is at work in each of our lives, but he's also at work in the world. And so we don't need to bow down to whatever pressure there is. We get to stand firm in the knowledge that we have through Jesus Christ. So God has provided for us a foundation for our growth, a framework for us to grow within, a focus or a direction for our growth. But finally, God has given us a fashion for our growth. You know, I know it sounds a bit odd to say it that way, and I'm not advocating uniforms for us. I'm not, although Tim did uh, show me a picture of a robe. I thought I was going to have a robe to wear today. Um, But I think this passage helps us to see that God wants us to remove some things and put on others. Look at what it says in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy practice of every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learned Christ, assuming that you have learned about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So Paul seems to be, uh, it seems like Paul is calling us here to to do two things. First of all, to, to put off our old ways. He goes into a great deal of discussion about this, but there are two primary things that we need to look at putting off. And one is, is, is the, is to put off the way that we are callous toward the things of God. 
some of you guys, you may, you may work with your hands. You may work in a field that causes your hands to, to get very calloused. And I, I have envy for guys like you because obviously you can do things with your hands that I can't do. Any construction progress, project at my house falls apart. But when I was playing guitar a lot, I would build up calluses on my fingers. And that, that hardness is, on one hand, a protection. But when we're looking spiritually, that hardness of heart, that callousness, is not a, 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 it can be a protective measure that we put in place, but it's also something that's preventing us from being open to what God is doing. And it seems like Paul is saying that uh, before someone comes to faith in Christ, their thoughts are callous, they are hardened because they refuse to be impacted by the truths of God. They're blinded because they are closed off to spiritual and biblical insights. And I think in some ways this callousness comes into play today when we as a society just succumb to groupthink. We assume that because everybody's thinking this, I should think that, that this is right. We have to step back and say, no, what is true? What does God say is true? And it takes a bit of humility to say, God, I don't understand. I don't know. But in addition to that, and in addition to putting off our callous ways, Paul calls us to put away, put off our, our, our carnal ways of living and acting. These are those sensual and greedy things that we do because of our nature. This is that, if it feels good, do it. Or that mentality of you do you. The narcissistic bent of our human nature leads us to things that are worldly, fleshly and ultimately dishonoring to God. I know that talking about callous things and talking about carnal things are not very popular, even very comfortable things to talk about. And I know that they are things that we all wrestle with. But Paul says we have to actively put those off, actively remove those. And let me encourage you to be thinking about what are those things in your life that you need to put off? What are ways that you need to put those aside? But the fashion for our growth that we see here is not simply, simply to put off certain things. Paul tells us to put on new life, to put on a new identity. Look at verse uh, 24. It says, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. You see, when we become followers of Christ, we receive a new nature in our life uh, or a, and a, a new life that is founded or established in Jesus Christ. Our identity is no longer found in whatever is popular or whatever is self-gratifying, but our identity is joined with Christ. And as we grow, as we put off those old callous and carnal ways, and as we put on our new life in Christ, it'll be manifested in two ways. One of them is in righteousness, and that is right living. It's that outward expression of what God has allowed us to do. And that is some of what, where that growth together comes into play. We get to see righteousness modeled in each other's lives. We get to see the way that this Older brother and sister in Christ loves his, I love that at our church. I told you about Jim and Annabelle. I love to see the way that Jim continues to, to love and care for his wife after 72 years. 
He'll, he'll get her up. He'll make her breakfast. He reads the word of God with her, brings her to church. She, she can hardly get around, but they are there, faithful. And he's loving her each and every day, living righteously in front of everybody else. But in addition to righteous living, we get this inward issue of holiness. And that is that inward righteousness that, that it's not as easy to see. It should be easy to see in our righteous living, but it's that changing of the way that we think. It's changing of the way that we um, consider things. It's, it's, it's having a newness, not just a religious practice on the outside, but a genuine change from within. And neither of these things are instantaneous. They take time. But think, think about it like this. If we were to go to another country, if you felt called to go to another context and be in, in that place, imagine what it would be like to go to that country. You would live there. You'd, you'd live as a resident alien for a while. And then if you really liked that place, you would, begin to, uh, you, you would begin to adopt the customs. You might even begin to change the attire that you would wear. You learn the language. You begin to get immersed in that. And eventually, maybe you would become a citizen of that country. There's a missionary that we used to support our, at our old church. who, who he's, This guy served in Kenya so long, he finally became a, a citizen of Kenya. But, as, but thinking about this, this metaphor, this idea of us going into another context, we're all the while that we're there, maybe learning this language, learning to live in that culture, we're putting off all of our old ways of thinking, all of our old ways of acting, all of our old customs. There are, there are hand gestures and things like that that we do here that might be offensive in another context. So we'd have to figure out how to put that off. Well, in much the same way as we become followers of Christ, we're gradually learning to speak the language of the gospel. We're gradually learning to speak that language of love toward one another. We're gradually learning to act like the life change that is beginning to happen within. Now, you may not have grown up in a church, and that's fine, and maybe you've been sitting on the sidelines observing. Maybe you've even begun to try to put on the fashion of faith without having a genuine change from within. And I want to just encourage you not to be deceived, but when we put on something without having that change within, that's just called religion. It's just called faking it. I want to encourage you to consider what it's like to say, Jesus Christ, I know that I am not what I should be. Maybe like, like I did when I was five years old, maybe you, you simply say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm falling short and I know I'm not going to do this on my own and I know I need Jesus' salvation. Maybe, at, and I think it, in, in the very least it takes admitting that you are a sinner and saying, I believe that Jesus, you died for my sin. And I invite you to change my life. That salvation is instantaneous, but that lifelong growth, that lifelong change is a sanctification. It's a growth that's going to continue until God brings you home. And I want to encourage you, if you've not ever taken that step of faith, if you've not ever said yes to Jesus in that way, then 
Talk to me after the service. Talk to one of your elders. Talk to Tim. Talk to one of your, another mature brother or sister in Christ. But don't let the sun go down today without responding to what Christ has done to you, for you. So let me just close briefly. We, as we've looked at, in many ways, we've just taken a high-level view over this passage. I hope that you've seen that God has already given us everything we need for continual lifelong growth, and it's called the church. You are what Christ has given to each other for lifelong growth. It's, it's established on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, which we see in the word of God, which is why we make the word of God so central in our worship, in your worship here and the worship that we do across the river in Poolsville. But the question is, are you engaging it? Are you reading it? Are you reading it personally? Are you reading it with your family? Are you reading it, meditating on, meditating on it? Are you memorizing it? But in addition to that, the, in addition to that foundation, God has given us the framework for, for growth in the structure of the church, in the evangelists that get the word out, in the, in the shepherds that provide that shelter, in the teachers that help us grow in our knowledge. Are you taking advantage of everything that God has given you in those gifts? And then there's that focus for our growth, making it more than just self-improvement. It's not the number of books that we're reading. It's not the number of miles that you might be running. It's not a personal growth mentality. It is a lifelong pursuit of maturity and holiness. He's, he's allowing us to grow by ministering together, by drawing us together in unity, and by, by strengthening, by growing in maturity. But finally, God has given us a fashion for growth, a new life of righteousness and holiness that we get to put on. So my question for us, myself included, is can people accuse us of being God's people by how we live? If they were to peel back our brains and look at our thoughts, could they say, oh yeah, that's a follower of Christ? Or, ooh, is that what a Christian really is? Can they accuse us of being followers of Christ if they could see the way that we think? Beloved, keep growing, keep maturing, keep growing in unity with one another. And as you continue to learn about the gifts that God has given you, let me encourage you to put those into practice for God's glory, for the edification of each other. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to come and worship together. More importantly, to come and humble ourselves before your word. And God, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would help us to understand those ways in our lives where we are compromising the witness that you've called us to. Father, forgive us, forgive me for the ways that I allow the callousness and the carnal nature of my old self to rear its ugly head. Father, help us to walk in holiness and righteousness before you. Help us to use the gifts that you've endowed each of us for your glory, that you might be honored and that we might be encouraged together. Thank you for the way that you have gifted us and called us. Help us to be obedient to all that you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.